vaginas. They come in all sizes and colors. Some have hair and some don't. Many think that a quote-unquote normal vagina is small, pink, hairless, and neatly tucked under. Well, let me tell you, I'm about to burst your bubble. Welcome to part two of last week's episode. Don't say it, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. It's time to delve deep into all things vagina. Are you ready? It's me, Carissa. Welcome to part two of last week's episode, where we'll be diving deep. <laughs> oh, no pun intended about the vagina. Which, before I begin, let's clear something up. It's vulva, not vagina. It's a vulva, not a vagina. I feel like it's going to be one of those episodes today. One of those exciting episodes. But I feel like I need to pull out. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> I feel like I need to pull out an anatomy poster. But you know what's better than a poster? A mirror. If you're the owner of a vulva, go ahead and take a mirror and get acquainted with your magnificent vulva. Say hello. Howdy, hey, how are you doing today? Don't forget to smile and wink. I mean, depending where you're actually listening to this episode, don't just whip out, you know, a mirror and your vulva and start examining yourself because, because if you're at work, that wouldn't be acceptable. Um, but if you're at home, um, you know, you could do whatever you want. Um, so whip out that mirror if you are at home. If you're not, don't do it while you're driving. Don't do it while you're at work and surrounded by people who might not appreciate the fact that you just whipped your vulva out. For some reason, I felt like I needed to add that. I, I think I think you all know <laughs> what's deemed sociably or socially acceptable. <laughs> Exposing oneself is not ideal so please just don't do it um <laughs> i'm feeling extremely funny today i don't know i'm in one of those like moods it's um <clears throat> it's gonna be quite the episode today as i've mentioned it's gonna be vulva related um but before we get into it before we get into this episode, excuse me, before we get into this episode, don't forget to follow us on Instagram. We're almost at a thousand followers. So become part of the Instagram Beauty Unlocked family. You can find us uh, at beauty underscore unlocked underscore podcast. We also have a Facebook page. <clears throat> We have a Facebook page. You can find us under the same name, Beauty Unlocked, the podcast. And don't forget 
To subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple, it helps us climb up the charts and more and more people discover the show and they become part of the Beauty Unlocked family. With all that being said, I just took in the deepest of breaths and I feel like it's very difficult to breathe today because we have quite a a large amount of dust in the air. So I'm just like, whew, difficult to breathe. And I'm sitting down and I feel out of breath, which is not very good. But with all that being said, we're going to actually take a look at three different articles. There were tons of articles related to everything and anything about vulvas, but I narrowed it down to three. So we're going to take a look at the surprisingly very brief history of the vagina, which you now know is a vulva and not a vagina. We're going to be talking about fupas, and we're also going to be talking about an Audi vagina and how 50% of women have an Audi vagina. All right, are you ready? I'm getting really excited, I don't know why. So with the first article, which I happened to find today, I don't know, it just, I just fell on this piece. And I was, um, I was uh, shocked actually. Um, and you'll see why. I found this on healthline.com, health slash vagina history. And it starts off by the number of words for the vagina is frankly amazing. From the cutesy lady bits to the friendly vajayjay to hoo-haws lady business and far too many insulting terms to name, the English language is a veritable smorgasbord of vajerific slang. That's a mouthful. We can be quite creative, apparently, when we don't want to come out and say vagina. And that's telling. For much of human history, the vagina has been, to some extent, a taboo subject, if not entirely unspeakable. Then certainly not something to discuss openly. In fact, there wasn't even a medical term for the female sexual passage until around the 1680s. Before then, the Latin word vagina, this is interesting, the Latin word vagina referred to a scabbard or sheath for a sword. All right. So it shouldn't be surprising that in the medical realm, the vagina and other female reproductive parts were long viewed as mysterious and even treacherous bits of anatomy. Treacherous? Really? Okay, all right. The ancient Greek... Okay, this one here, this physician right here, this is what drew me to this article. I was like, hold up, what? So the ancient Greek physician Areteus believed that the uterus wandered about the female body like an animal within an animal, causing illness as it banged into the spleen or liver. Should I repeat that? Because... When I, when I first read it, I was like, no, 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 no. Maybe I read that wrong. So this Greek physician, who I have issues saying his name, Areteus, believed that the uterus wandered about the female body like an animal within an animal. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Causing illness as it banged into the spleen or liver. Wow. How did we make it this far? Anyway, he also believed that it was drawn to fragrant smells such that a physician could lure it back into place by presenting the vagina with pleasant scents. What the fuck? Seriously. Uh, As historian Thomas LeCur has written, it was common belief at the time that men and women literally shared the same sexual organs. Huh, okay. And so it has gone for the vagina. Its history is rife with myth, misunderstanding, and mistreatment. After all, how do you care for the health of something you can barely even mention? So true. women's genitals are so sacred or so taboo that we can't even talk about them at all. Or if we do talk about them, they're a dirty joke. And this is what 
uh, Christine Labuski says, and she's a formal, uh, former gynecology nurse practitioner and now a cultural anthropologist at Virginia Tech and author of It Hurts Down There, a book about vulvar, uh, vulvar pain. Even today, we tend to be vague about vaginas. Oprah is widely credited with popularizing the vajayjay, but it's not clear we're all talking about the same body part. Is Oprah's vajayjay her vagina, the channel from her cervix to the outside of her body? Or is it her vulva, which includes all the external parts that I imagine when someone says lady bits, the labia, clitoris, and pubic mound? Often today, we just use the word vagina as a catch-all. Maybe because if there's a word we're less comfortable saying than vagina, it's vulva. I don't know why, but okay. And if modern-day women are often unclear about their own anatomy, you can imagine what ancient men made of it. Well, apparently it was treacherous. That's what they made of it. So Galen, who was considered the premier medical researcher of the Roman Empire, rejected the wandering uterus, but saw the vagina as literally literally an inside-out penis. In the 2nd century AD, he wrote this to help readers visualize. Okay. Think first, please, of the man's genitals turned in and extending inward between the rectum and the bladder. If this should happen, the scrotum would necessarily take the place of the uteri, with the testes lying outside next to it on either side. That's just too complicated for me to even understand visually how, but okay. So there you have it. Galen's saying that if you imagine shoving all the man's bits up into a man's body, the scrotum would be the uterus, the penis would be the vagina, and the testicles would be the ovaries. Huh? Okay. To be clear, this wasn't just an analogy. Um, um, as historian Thomas Lecure, which I mentioned before, has written, it was common belief that at the time that men and women literally shared the same sexual organs. Why a scrotum can't bear children, not to mention where exactly the clitoris fits into this scheme, wasn't so clear. But Galen wasn't concerned with those questions. He had a point to make, that a woman was merely an imperfect form of a man. You know what, Galen? Go fuck yourself. It might sound silly today, but the assumption of a male as the standard for the human body was persistent. Of course it was. <clears throat> it wasn't until 1994 that the U.S. National Institute of Health, NIH, mandated that most clinical trials include women. 1994? I'm sure I have listeners that were born then. <laughs> uh, so the last uh, was first. So the last was first passed in 1993, but took effect after the NIH revised the guidelines. Before then, many drugs were never tested on women at all, on the assumption that they would work the same in both sexes. Okay, that assumption proved incorrect. From 1997 to 2001, 8 out of 10 prescription drugs that were pulled from the market posed greater risks for women, often because women's, uh, women metabolize them differently. Wow, that's dangerous. What's more, early anatomists got a lot wrong about the female form. Well, apparently, I'm sure they did. Galen's idea about women rested on his shaky understanding, shaky is an understatement, shaky understanding of female anatomy, which was perhaps understandable since he hadn't been allowed to dissect human corpses. It wasn't until the 1500s during the Renaissance that anatomists were able to peer inside the body and began to publish drawings of genitalia along with other organs. However, their images of the reproductive system were considered scandalous by the church. I'm not going to even get into it. So many books of the time hid the genitals under flaps of paper or omitted them entirely. <clears throat> Even Andreas Vesalius, a Flemish physician who was considered the father of anatomy, wasn't always sure what he was looking at. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. 
He viewed the clitoris, this, this right here. He viewed the clitoris as an abnormal part that didn't occur in healthy women, for instance, sticking instead to the view that the vagina was the female equivalent of the penis. <laughs> okay. But during the Enlightenment period from 1685 to 1815, the sciences, including anatomy, flourished. And thanks to the printing press, more people started learning about sex and the female body. Uh, when you say more people started to learn about sex, many p people couldn't even read at the time, but all right. Na, 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 na. Thanks to the new print culture, writes uh, Raymond Ste uh, sorry, Stevenson and Darren Wagner in an overview of the era, sexual advice literature, midwifery manuals, popular sexologies, erotica, medical trustees in the vernacular, even the novel became publicly available for an unprecedented number of readers. But a lot of people couldn't read. <sighs> okay, sorry. What's more, with the rise of modern medicine in the 1800s, far more people began to see doctors. Childbirth, which had been seen as a normal life event to be carried out at home, began to move into hospitals, says Sarah Rodriguez, a PhD, a medical historian at Northwestern University. And doctors got their first good look inside a living vagina. <laughs> okay. James Marion Sims was a young Alabama doctor in the 1840s when he took an interest in performing surgeries on women, then a fairly new undertaking. To do so, he basically invented the field of gynecology as we know it today. First, he invented the vaginal speculum, ooh, speculums, which gynecologists still use to open and see inside the vagina. And then he pioneered the first surgery to repair, excuse me, this is going to take me a while, vesicovaginal fistulas, a complication of childbirth in which a hole opens between the vagina and the bladder. Vesicovaginal fistulas. Whew, okay. The surgery was a breakthrough, but the advance came at a great cost. Even at the time, Rodriguez says, Sims' methods were seen as ethically questionable. That's because Sims developed the surgery by experimenting on enslaved African-American women. In his own accounts, he discusses three women in particular, named Betsy and Narcha and Lucy. He performed 30 operations, all with fuck me, fuck me, all without anesthesia on Anarcha alone, starting when she was 17 years old. The fuck? I can't. I don't think you should talk about this creation of these surgeries without mentioning those women, Rodriguez says. Fistula repair has benefited many women since then, but this came about with three women who couldn't say no. Oh, God. What the fuck? In April of 2018, a statue of Sims in New York City's Central Park was taken down, you're damn right, to be replaced by a plaque that will give the names of the three women who Sims experimented upon. Damn right, tear that fucking statue down. Fucking cunt. Excuse me. To many women, the statue's removal was an important acknowledgement of the harm and neglect women suffered for years at the hands of the medical establishment. It really wasn't until the 1970s, Rodriguez says, that women's health care came into its own. The book, Our Bodies, Ourselves, was a major force in that change. In 1970, Judy Norsegian uh, and other women in the Boston Women's Health Book Collective published the first edition of the book, which spoke directly and frankly to women about everything from anatomy to sexual health and menopause. That book was transformative, Rodriguez says, because it gave women knowledge about their bodies. And that knowledge empowered women to, be to become their own health experts. 
The book has since sold more than 4 million copies, and women still tell stories of passing dog-eared copies around until they literally fell apart. Clearly, there was a thirst for knowledge, Judy Norsigan says, as she reflects back on that time. Back in the late 60s and 70s, we knew very little about our bodies. Well, also because it was so taboo to know about your bodies before then. But we knew how little we knew, she says today. That's what made women get together and do the research. Over the years, the need for the book hasn't disappeared, but it has transformed. There's so much in misinformation on the internet, she says. She describes women approaching her at events and asking questions that show a lack of basic knowledge about the female body. They don't understand about menstrual health and urinary tract infections, or UTIs, she says, or they don't even know they have two different orifices. All while women today can find more information about their bodies than ever before, that also means they're bombarded with more negative and inaccurate messages. Very true. Women today get the idea that you have to look like they do in porn. Mm-hmm. So they're shaving and altering their vaginal area, uh, Norsigian uh, says. Vaginal rejuvenation is a hot surgery now. We spoke about vaginal rejuvenation back in, ooh, the beginning episodes. That's why the latest edition of the book, there's, uh, that's why the latest edition of the book, there's no longer funding to keep updating it, has a section on how to find accurate information on the internet and avoiding sale pitches disguised as education. But even with all its newfound exposure, the vagina has remained somewhat taboo. Here's just one example. The Kotex company planned a TV commercial for its pads and tampons that mentioned the word vagina. Oh my. After all, that's where their products are used. After three broadcast networks told the company it couldn't use that word, <laughs> okay, Kotex filmed the ad with the actress using the phrase down there. Oh, wow. Nope, two of the three networks rejected even that. Imagine this. Friends, this wasn't in the 1960s. This ad ran in 2010, 11 years ago. <clears throat> wow. In the end, it was still an important advance. The company poked fun at its own past advertising, which featured blue liquid and women dancing gleefully, riding horses and jumping around in white pants, presumably all while menstruating. Yet even in 2010, Kotex could make no mention, even euphemistically, of an actual vagina. Okay. So yes, we've come a long way. It's been centuries since anyone tried to tempt a wandering uterus with a vaginal potpourri. <laughs> but history continue, continues to shape us. <laughs> I'm wondering, maybe I should, I should make this the title of the show. It's been centuries since anyone tried to tempt a wandering uterus with vaginal potpourri. <laughs> we still speak about the vagina in 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 inaccurate, misleading ways. As a result, many people still don't know the difference between the vagina and vulva, much less how to care for either one. Women's magazines and many health-oriented websites don't help, promoting nons nonsensical ideas like how to get your best summer vagina ever. <laughs> what? And promoting cosmetic procedures and surgeries that serve to shame women into thinking their perfectly normal vulvas aren't attractive enough. In 2000. 13, a survey at a U.S. university found that only 38% of college women could correctly label the vagina on, vagina on an anatomical diagram. That's beating out the 20% of college men who could find it. <clears throat> and fewer than half of all women in an international survey said they're comfortable discussing vagina-related issues with a healthcare provider. 
Even though many of us live in this vag world and people send selfies of their genitals and it feels like this very open moment, I think these attitudes are still really new relative to the long history. And this is what Lubuski says. And after that long history, it's going to take a lot of vagina talk to make up for lost time. Such a good article. So insightful. It was written by Erica uh, Engelhapt. And she's a science journalist and editor. And she writes for the column Gory Details at National Geographic. Um, I'm going to post this article up on the Facebook page. I know I should put now the crickets because I don't post enough. And I keep saying this, repeating myself. But I need to post a little bit more on the Facebook page. But it's a very insightful um it's a very insightful article and quite shocking that even up to 11 years ago, you couldn't use the word on TV vagina. You had to say down there. And even that was not OK to say. Wow. So we're going to move onwards from the very brief history of the vagina. We're going to go and talk about fupas. Now, many of you might know what a fupa is. Some might be thinking, is that a disease? Absolutely not. Your fupa demystified. If there's a part of the body that suffers from a name-calling problem, it's the area covered by your underwear, right where some of us non-millennials still have hair. Many of us have lovingly taken to calling it fupa, aka fat upper pubic area, though some use a different P word in that acronym. In any case, here's the low down on your down low. <laughs> this article is from The Plum and it was written by Liz Krieger. So what's a fupa? Technically, it's the mons pubis, which feels rather clinical and just dorky, like calling your skin your epidermis. Yes, it's correct, but it's not something people actually say. So it gets branded with a range of indecorous slang terms. There's the whole camel toe expression, of course, which describes not the area so much as a conundrum. Don't go looking for help understanding just what it is via Google search. That's because, thanks in part to something Beyonce said in Vogue in 2018, the definition of fupa has become largely misunderstood. And here we are and we're going to discuss it. So according to Queen Bey, after her second pregnancy, she felt in no rush to get rid of what she called her mommy pouch. She told Vogue, Whenever I'm ready to get a six-pack, I will go into beast zone and work my ass off until I have it. But right now, my little fupa and I feel like we are meant to be. So, as we said... That's not a fupa. That's as what Beyonce called a mommy pouch, but then she said fupa. It's not the same thing. So what causes a fupa? Here's the thing. A tummy bulge is not a fupa. They're neighbors, though, at least. According to Adam Kolker, who's a, a medical doctor and plastic surgeon in New York City, who doesn't actually use the word, that would be so interesting to go into his office and be like, so I want to talk about my fupa today. He'll be like, wait, wait what? <laughs> Uh, so fupa is when there's an excess, uh, excess or bulge of fat in the mons pubis area, a spot that naturally maintains a fatty padding no matter what, and is largely based on genetics. I call it my little pillow, but anyway, that's enough about me. <laughs> However, during times of physical change and weight gain, notably during pregnancy, the area can also grow in size and then, despite subsequent weight loss, remains resistant to, sl resistant to slimming down. In short, once you're front fanny gains fat it's sticking around excess fat and or stretched out skin above the underwear line and around the belly button often referred to as a mommy pouch or mummy tummy can also happen after the weight gain loss associated with pregnancy 
And if you've had a C-section or two, that horizontal scar can lead to an increased bulging appearance of the area. And this is what Dr. Coker says. So to recap, a fupa and a tummy bulge are two different things. They're neighbors, like we mentioned, and as Dr. Adam Coker said, fupa is when there's an excess or bulge of fat in the mons pubis area, and this spot naturally maintains a fatty padding no matter what. Like I said, I call mine a little pillow, a little cushion. It's there. I can poke at it, and it's largely based on genetics. So when you're looking up fupa on Google, a lot of times there's misinformation. They'll be like, well, that's the that's the belly area, the lower belly area. No, it isn't. That is not the fupa. <laughs> All righty. I'm glad we managed to clear that up. Actually, when I was doing research for this and I wrote fupa, and I don't even remember where I heard the term fupa. It's one of those words that just, I don't know, you added to your vernacular or something and, and you don't even really remember where you saw it first or heard it. But when I was researching for this and I wrote fupa, um, a lot of things were talking about the mommy pouch or the lower be- uh, belly area. And I was like, but that's not a fupa. That's definitely not a fupa. That's something completely different. And I was like, and I kept on scrolling and scrolling. And I'm like, where, where is an article? Where can I find an article that accurately describes what a fupa is? <laughs> and I found that one. So there you go. I hope you're enjoying this episode where we're talking all things vulva related. (laughs) And we're on to the last article, which I found on mamamia.com.au. And I believe Mamma Mia um, is also a podcast. I'm not too sure, but it seems that um, the ladies are fellow podcasters from Australia. And I believe you can find them wherever you listen to your podcasts. But it's called Mamma Mia Out Loud. (laughs) And they have an episode that's called We Tried Those Vulva Masks. Okay, now I really want to listen to this. And anyway, that's what I'm going to be doing on uh, my day off. (laughs) On mamamia.com.au, we found, or I found, we, yes, me, myself, and I, we found an article that's called 50% of women have an Audi vagina. So stop pretending that it's anything other than normal. So this article was written by the evening editor Katie Stowe, and it was written this year, January the 6th. She starts by saying, before we dive into anything, let's clear something up. We're talking about vulvas here, not vaginas. But as we mentioned, and this is what I'm saying, not um, Katie over here, as I mentioned, many people just don't know the difference, and they Google Audi vagina. (laughs) So she says that they're going to continue rolling with Audi vagina. But it's officially an Audi vulva, capiche? This is what she says. So what exactly are we talking about here? Well, the visible front of house area of the female genitalia that you can spot with with your human eye. The part that I told you I poke at. I know you guys are probably thinking you're giving us way too much information about what you do to yourself, Carissa. I know, I know, but you're part of the family, so there you go. So Katie says, this, my friends, is the vulva. The vulva is made of the labia minora, we're having an anatomy lesson, the inner lips, and the labia majora, the outer lips. And they come in many shapes, sizes, colors, with its own unique formula of hair, juices, and smell, meaning that it's highly unlikely that any two vulvas are the same. That's beautifully written. I love that. However, if we're getting specific, an Audi refers to a vulva in which the labia majora, the outer lips, is smaller than the labia minora, the inner lips. 
causing the inner lips to protrude in the same fashion as an Audi belly button. But for some bizarre reason, those, uh, those who have a vulva that sticks more out than in have decided that their vagina is somehow less than. This is simply bullshit. Very true. I concur, Katie. We spoke to our resident GP, Dr. Ginny Mansberg, who revealed that in 50% of girls, the labia minora is bigger than the labia majora. That's your reality. Women who think there is something wrong with me because something sticks out a little bit, well, no, it may not appear in porn movies, but it is actually very normal. Yes, it appears that porn has played a big part in this warped phenomenon. Um, so the thing is, and this is not what Katie says, but I'm going to say it, what we see in porn, <clears throat> whatever porn you're into, um, what we see in porn is no different from the latest, I don't know, Jason Statham movie, meaning that it's all fantasy. It's all fantasy. There's, I, I don't know how, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's one of these things of it is made for people's pleasure, <laughs> obviously. Um, although, as I've mentioned with the daughter of Lilith in previous episodes where we've collaborated together that we can watch porn without actually watching porn for what it was made for um because not that i'm a porn connoisseur um but i can watch porn and be not i don't know if i could say subjective it's one of those things where i'm just like okay so this is amateur porn this is porn that's you know whatever backed by a studio whatever it may be um but i've never been in that position <laughs> Ah, oh, no pun intended. But I've never been in that position where I was just like, hmm, um, I should be that loud. Or wow, like, is that how people really have sex? I mean, I guess, I mean, well, yes. I mean, but in the sense of I've never compared myself to uh, these adult entertainers and what they do. Because I know in my mind, I'm like, I know this is all fantasy. So there's no point of me comparing my vulva or my breasts or my belly or my legs or whatever to these adult entertainers um because i know that this is all fantasy and i hope i hope to those listening to beauty unlocked and if you are someone who watches porn that you know that that is all just fantasy pure fantasy it's just like an action movie do you know with the big explosions and everything the same thing with porn and the reality is that porn is easily accessible. It's not when I was a teenager, you had to go, you know, um, either through pay-per-view or whatnot, or you had to go to Blockbusters. A moment of silence for Blockbusters. Or you had to go to your local Blockbusters in like a, a special place, you know, in the back there to get your porn. Um, now it's easily accessible. So, you know, with one click, you're on a porn site and there you go. And unfortunately, um, children and teenagers, they watch this um, and they consider it sex education because at school they are not provided with proper sex education. And also um, some parents find it a little embarrassing to talk about sex. Please talk to your children about sex. Please, please do, please. And remind them that what they might fall upon, especially in porn, is not reality. Please, just be open with your teenagers and your children. On with the article. <laughs> 
So Katie says, and why are we surprised? It fills the void of sex education for so many. Well, <laughs> that's what I just said. Allowing teenagers to turn to buffed up, shaved, fake orgasming actors to figure out what the hell is quote-unquote, normal in the bedroom. This method leaves a great big gaping hole. Okay, whoa. <laughs> a great big gaping hole between what's seen and reality. A quote-unquote, normal vagina, according to the world of female sexuality and porn, is small, pink, hairless, and neatly tucked under. Well, that's just not realistic, as Dr. Ginny pointed out. Women are getting a really warped view of what's normal. When watching porn, they are thinking, mine doesn't look like that. There must be something wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with you. Vaginas, vulvas, genitalia in general are in fact removed from most popular culture visuals. So there's no point of comparison for most other than what they are seeing in porn versus what's actually between their legs. Okay. Because the internet doesn't allow us to share actual vulva pictures without getting banned, barred, or blocked. Ah... We've gotten creative with images that depict kinda-ish what an Audi vagina looks like. Using ja- jackets, fruits, and um, hats. By the way, I have to, I'm going to put this on the Facebook page, but um, there's some uh, fascinating pictures in here. People are getting creative, I'm telling you. Most surgeons attribute this unrealistic comparison to a big spike in women and girls seeking out labiaplasties, which we've mentioned before. A permanent plastic surgery to reshape, resculpture, and essentially redesign the vulva. During the process, an Audi vagina is, quote, unquote, fixed to stick back inside the outer lips, and the whole thing is hoisted up and in, in to fight the effects of gravity and aging. Hoisted up? Oh, I'm just getting these mental images. The process, whilst touted as perfectly safe, still involves removing tissue in a highly sensitive area. It is a sad predicament of our body beauty obsessed world of female body image that we are fully prepared to sacrifice or at the very least risk our future sexual arousal for the sake of a prettier pussy. Oh, oh my. Katie, you definitely have the gift. That's for sure. Getting all sorts of mental imagery here. This desire to, quote, fix something that is far from broken is a disappointing trend in female healthcare especially as there is no aesthetic perfection when it comes to genitals, but where, uh, but what there is is a whole lot of anxiety. So here's a rallying call to women worldwide worldwide for innies, outies, and everything in betweenies. Let's embrace all vaginas. Vulvas. Let's embrace all vulvas. But she says, let's embrace all vaginas. After all, if, if you think vaginas are weird, you should take a closer look at a set of balls. What the hell? <laughs> Katie, what? And somehow we can't ever imagine a man voluntarily letting anyone with a knife anywhere near them. That's not true. People are into scrotox, but that's besides the point. <laughs> so if you haven't had the chance, I have spoken about labiaplasties. I've spoken about scrotox. Just check out our our previous episodes and you'll find it all there because and it's it's probably topics that I'll be revisiting. Uh because the things that we do to ourselves, the things that we do to our bodies, just to adhere to this Eurocentric beauty ideal and beauty standard, which is a trend is and is always changing. But that's besides the point. <laughs> Actually, no, it isn't besides the point. This is the whole point of Beauty Unlocked. But all right. Let me tell you, this episode is going to be forever ingrained into my mind. I 
don't know about you, but personally, it was packed full of information from the <laughs> the history of the vulva to talking about fupas to talking about outer vaginas, which are actually outer vulvas. We spoke about it all. With all that being said, I want you to remember this. Whether you have saggy skin, inverted nipples, one breast larger than the other, body hair, pubic hair, mommy pouches, foot paws, cellulite, stretch marks, body acne, belly rolls, lower back hair, or what you might call an Audi vagina. Embracing the natural state of your body is an act of defiance, especially in a society that's so obsessed over the physical aspect of people. And it's the slap to the face to the industries that profit from our insecurities. I know it's very difficult. And it's it's very difficult to embrace your body when you're constantly, as I've said so many times, bombarded by images, whether it be from social media to the TV shows that you watch to the movies that you're watching to whatever advertisement that there's out there um, about how to get bikini ready in like, I don't know, 28 days to get rid of your fupog, get rid of your hip dips and all this. Remember that these are industries that are profiting from your insecurities, the insecurities that they actually placed within us. I'm not someone who's against leading a healthier lifestyle. I'm not someone who's against exercising because ex- because exercising has many benefits. But I don't believe that we should be pressured into looking like anyone else but ourselves. Um, And a healthy lifestyle includes a mind-body-soul connection. It's not what you're just putting in your mouth or the lack of exercise or if you exercise, it means that you're healthy. It's how you're thinking, how you're speaking to yourself. This also counts. It's very important. So no, because many people are going to be like, oh, that means that, you know, you're uh, you're an advocate for, for, for people that are obese. I'm just like... I'm not promoting obesity. I'm promoting loving yourself and understanding that whether you do go running 10 kilometers or you spend six hours at a gym or whatever, that your body is still not going to look like what you're what you're seeing on Instagram. Don't forget that what we're seeing is heavily filtered sometimes, heavily photoshopped. And it's only in, in the recent, I don't know, in the last 10 years that whether it be the fashion industry or you know, well, mostly the fashion industry and also the entertainment industry that they've changed and have a bit more representation of what normal body, a normal, quote unquote, normal body looks like. Um, And that's because more people, well, because of the creation of social media and more and more people are able to put what they really look like out there without filtering, showing you what the real is. Um, so remember this, anything where any kind of, I don't know, account that you follow that makes you feel less than or unworthy, please unfollow them because this, this goes towards the leading a healthier lifestyle meaning means that you have to unfollow, which might be very difficult to do, unfollow some accounts that make you feel less than. 
Okay, seriously, Pancakes was about to break the door down and I had to let her in. But now she's like right next to my microphone. So I'm not too sure if you're going to hear some purring. But I guess that's my cue. And she's telling me, uh, Mama, time to feed me <laughs> or give me attention. Um, so with all that being said, I hope you enjoyed today's episode, part two of last week's episode, a continuation about all things vulva related. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and also subscribe to our YouTube channel, Beauty Unlocked the Podcast. You are not scratching yourself while I'm recording. Pancakes! No! <laughs> I managed to get her out of the room with all that <laughs> and all that's happening around me. I hope you have a lovely and safe weekend. And remember to love each other, love yourselves, spread some of that sweet, sweet love, and you'll hear from me next week. Bye! Wow.